that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm John Viola. Spending the day with my partner in crime, the Italian-American Wikipedia himself, Mr. Patrick O'Boyle, and we have a great episode coming up for you. We are in anticipation. Uh, I leave tomorrow for one of my absolute favorite destinations in the country, the great state of Louisiana. And when I am in the wonderful Crescent City of New Orleans, one of my close buddies is a gentleman who you're going to get to hear from in just a little bit. He's uh, He's been on our episodes before. You probably Remember him, if you haven't listened already, back in episode 178, we met he and Lena Prima to talk about Bonacera, Louisiana, one of their amazing projects. And uh, he's been on our Greetings from Italian America in New Orleans. His name is Charles Marsala, and he is the man to know in the Italian Sicilian community in New Orleans. And he's going to join us in a little bit. But uh, first and foremost, Pat, how you doing? Uh, you've got some big plans while I'm in Louisiana as well, right? Um, the Federation of Italian American Societies in New Jersey. That's a mouthful. It is a, like all Italian organizational names. It's a mouthful. They are having a dinner on Saturday night honoring uh, the great Anthony Shelia, a.k.a. His, new, his nom de plume. Is that the right French word? His nom de plume. What would the other word be? What do you mean the other word? Like his, what do you call the name actors use? Stage name, stage name, yeah, stage name. Known to those out there in Italian American social media world as Tony Manja. Yeah, Tony's getting a much deserved award in New Jersey at a big dinner, and uh, unfortunately, I can't be there, but you'll be there to represent. And uh, we've got a whole table full of people coming. It's a uh, Tony's a guy who really deserves this recognition. He has thirty-four thousand Instagram posts on Italian Americana. Mamma mia. People love it. Uh, he's also on Facebook. So if you don't already follow him, he's my friend, my dear, dear friend of many, many years. Tony Manja, T-O-N-Y space M-A-N-G-I-A. And basically, he eats, every, he goes to every church and every restaurant that has an Italian connection. Yeah. So it's a statue that he's found in a church. And then it's like, I don't know, Italian-American fast food, like the pizzeria that nobody heard from. He is a titan chronicler yeah. of our experience and our institutions that remain. And I don't know how he, he does what he does because he goes to every restaurant and he orders everything and he, and he photographs it. And I mean, uh, Tony is probably the best eater I know. I mean, the guy will just eat. Yeah, he'll put me on under the, the table any day of the week. I'll, yes. ne- I'll never hold the candle to him. It's unbelievable. Like, God I'm, bless I'm him. but a John the Baptist and he's he's the Messiah. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Would John the Baptist say, I'm not even wor- uh, worthy, you know, to unstrap your sandal? Yeah. Not I'm not kidding. even worthy to hold his napkin. <laughs> no, it's absolutely true. And his wife, Elmina, we always look over his wife. Yeah, she's a doll. She's the, she is the, what, behind every great man is a great woman? Yeah. And you know what? Uh, let me say, I, I've got a great supportive wife, Nicole, like, lets me do everything. But Elmina is there for everything. She goes to she everything. Really is. She's, I mean, that they always say if you find somebody who shares your passion, you have a great future. And those two, what a great team. And they're, I mean, they're up for anything. She is the dictionary definition of the Sicilian wife. Yeah, she's really a doll. Her real name is Guglielmina. Is that right? Yeah, Guglielmina. I didn't know that. The star of Santa Croce Camarina, she is. <laughs> That's absolutely right. We had a lot of friends from Santa Croce. The great Dr. Rosa. 
it's a regional thing because they had a real big prominence in North Jersey and Patterson and, and Hackensack. So I think that's why there's a, there's a dominant presence. Yeah. It's going to be a really great event. I'm, uh, I'm very happy for Tony and you know, th- this week I'll be in new Orleans. You'll be in Jersey. We've got a lot of stuff going on in the Italian community, but I think the big news for us here is uh, you have gone full fledged viral in one of the clips from the Italian future leaders convention. And uh, you are getting lambasted out there by millions and millions of people. I don't know why anybody wants to be viral anything. It's a horrible viral that comes from what virus? <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> it is a, so anyway, I make I I say stuff all the time, right? Sometimes I just I just say things, right? I, I'm not I'm not saying it's a gospel. I say things. I had said something about Italy's current economic political situation that um Growing Up Italian had filmed, Sabino had filmed when we were in Florida for the Italian-American Future Leaders Conference. And they they set it out there, and it's hot on fire. It's not just hot on fire. It's you, You're getting attacked left, right, and center. Oh, yeah, but I'm, yeah. Go, I'm going there with that. Hold on, hold on, partner. I'm getting there. Even my <laughs> brother saw it on the middle of nowhere on Instagram pop up. So for all of you out there who have aspirations for social media, uh, count your blessings instead of sheep and stay home. Yeah. Because every angry Italian has just, they bombarded me. They've said horrible things about, I, I don't know where it came from. Horrible, horrible, mean things, personal things, um, things people would never, ever say to your face. Yeah. But I have invited them all on the podcast. One by one, individually, every nasty comment I've said, you know, because my thing is, if you disagree with number one, if you disagree with me, you don't have to say personal horrific things about me. Yeah. When that that's just a level of decorum. And I pity these people. It doesn't it didn't hurt me or bother me, honestly, because it's it's more of an indication of their character than anything else. And my argument is you could say, you know, I don't even want to. Um, what's the word? Not justify. What do people say? Dignify. I don't even want to dignify it with some of the comments they made. But my arg- my argument is like, um, if you call me ugly or stupid or whatever you want to call me, that's not refuting the facts. No. So if you take the facts that I put out and you refute those facts, that's how you make an argument. Yeah. But call me like a stupid American. You've never been to the all, all kinds of asinine things. But I have invited them all one by one to come on the podcast and defend yourself. If you want to make an argument against what I stated, Come on and present the facts, because if I'm wrong, now one gentleman, Alberto, was very, very kind that I spoke to. He actually engaged me on Instagram and he had a very polite conversation. He actually has a project. I think it'd be very interesting to bring him on to the podcast because he's from Italy and he now lives in the United States with his American wife. But we he brought up a great point to me. And he said to me when we were discussing my comments via Instagram, I have always argued that. Italians in the south of Italy have a much better perspective of the United States than people in the north of Italy, only for the fact that we had much later immigration in the south. And almost everyone in the south has someone, some kind of relative or family, friend or neighbor who wound up immigrating to America. And they have contact with Americans who go and visit Italy, the people who left. And they've come here for weddings and vacations and stuff like that to to visit the people they knew in the States. And he said to me, he disagreed with me and told me I was wrong. He goes, yes, the people in the South have a very good understanding of Italian Americans, like in metro areas, like New York. Mm. They don't have a good understanding of like Alabama. Mm. 
or Mississippi or, or parts of the country, Utah, where we have listeners and there's a very low Italian population. I was like, you are 100 percent right. Yeah, I am wrong. And I am going to amend my statement to reflect this reality, this truth that you brought to my attention. And that's a conversation I love. I don't want to be right. I don't want to be I'm not I don't want to be right. I want to learn. Yeah. Right. I want to learn. And he was right when he brought it up. I'm like, you're 100 percent right. And I feel sorry for the people who had a conversation that was barbaric. It was name calling. It was nasty. And, you know, I don't want to make this an Italian thing because this kind of um, this nastiness vitriol is that vitriol is everywhere on social media, on the Internet. But, John, you have been dragged in to the conversation and I was saving it for the podcast to tell you. Oh, good. One of the Italians told me how disgusting your song is. <laughs> you have a terrible voice that you shouldn't sing. That the words to the song with Lena are stupid. That the words do not translate. That if you want to do something good for the world to get rid of the song. I mean, on and on and on. But this is what we're dealing with. And know what my response was? If I do that, John loves the song. He'll cry. <laughs> well, you know what? At least they're listening. Right? Well, my thing is this, for a country that produced so much academic greatness, if you're going to scream to me how Italy is like this big intellectual power, then why why are you resorting to kindergarten arguments? Yeah, it's like sticks and stones kind of. But then again, the, like I said, I was all bent up about it. But I think I don't want to say I'm overreacting, but because I, I, I think that I've never experienced it. And Roe could write a book because let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen out there. No one gets the abuse that Roe gets, and we've seen it. Now she gets abused, yeah, constantly. On horrible things that people say. People drink a grandmother into it, say terrible things. I just think it's probably a fairer analysis would be that this is something that probably the whole world experiences. Yeah. Maybe if there's a Norwegian-American podcast, even they get abused. <laughs> Maybe they do. I don't But we don't get abused. Now, number one, if you guys ever write nasty letters to John about me, he censors things. <laughs> so if you've ever said anything nasty, Stephanie's told to delete it and forget about it. If you want to say something nasty, come to me directly. But that being said, I have never, ever, ever, ever once had anything but the greatest of a pleasant experience with our listeners. And you know I mean that sincerely. Sure. Because if I didn't, I'd be the first to say it. Because we have the gold standard of listeners. I've engaged with hundreds, and one is one is better than the other. We have a treasury of the top of the top. And that's why I think I was so shocked when Cafonoria.com showed up and start, you know, um, and just start, just, just start going these personal horrific attacks, but I'm done. They don't like the song, Johnny boy. Well, good news is I like it. They want the song and they don't like your voice. They don't like you. They don't like me. That's all right. I'm used to that. They don't like Ro. They don't like the podcast. <laughs> but then so what do you like? <laughs> yeah, what do you like? I, yeah, you know, ignorant, the, these horrible things they said, this American, you've never been to the Italy. The, the beautiful thing about these platforms is as disgusting and vitriolic as people can get. They really don't have to listen. And, you know, nobody's doing this to create consensus, you know, or to win uh, a beauty contest. It's just a bunch of friends with opinions who are sharing them. We, we think we're pretty well versed in the topic. And, you know what? This is the sad state of things today is that people are really nasty and 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 all of the pretense of civilization, like you said, things that you just wouldn't say in person get lost on the Internet because there's the anonymity of hiding behind an account and a you know profile picture. But I think that you have to learn all of us just to turn it off because you can't please everybody. You don't please everybody in person. They just don't tell you. Class is gone. Yeah, class is gone. Class well, is gone. I mean, no, nah, there's some people like me that still use fountain pens. That's classy. 
You know what, though? I know a very classy guy, and he's uh, our guest today, and he's, you speak of uh, my one recorded song with Lena that is the intro to our uh, to our show here and uh, something that I like very much and a great project, and it was born out of time in New Orleans, and uh, Charles Marsala is our friend in New Orleans, and this is a man of complete class. Let me tell you what this guy did. When we had our Italian-American Future Leaders Convention in Florida, he saw on social media, this is the good side of social media, some of the exciting things that were going on on the first day. And he got in his car in Louisiana and drove to Fort Lauderdale to be with us on the second day. And just in the morning, just like popped up at the hotel. And I I, I don't know, it must have taken 14, 15 hours. It's not like driving to the Panhandle. It's driving all the way down the peninsula of Florida. So when you talk about class, you talk about dedication to the Italian-American community, there's nobody better than Charles Marsala. Charles, I want to give you the greatest, greater than any award or cavaliere or any medal for the Italian community. I can truly say with a clear conscience, you are as whacked out in the head as John and I are. <laughs> There's very few people who are so mentally whacked in the head that we would drop everything in a different time zone, in a different state, and jump in a car and drive there. Yeah, Tony Manjua, there was a few. You are in the great pantheon. When we paint the Italian-American pantheon of greatness, we're going to do it in John's new house. When we put the pantheon there, like what was the, what's the one in the Vatican? The Academy at Athens? Yeah. <laughs> we're going to put you there and we're going to have you there with Louisiana. And sh- we're going to have you there holding sugarcane. I think that's the best, best tribute we can give to you. You're going to be, you're going to be in a toga with a whole thing of sugarcane. Okay, Johnny boy, take it from here. Charles, how long did it take you to get from Louisiana to Florida? I would say I left basically around uh, 1 p.m. and I pulled into Florida at 3.30 a.m. to the hotel. And at that point, they told me the hotel was sold out. <laughs> I then spent an hour and a half driving around trying to find an empty hotel room. Oh, no. It was 5 o'clock a.m. when I realized that I had to be getting up at like 6 to make the, the, the event. <laughs> so I decided just to recline the seat in the car. As I'd already backed up 45 miles from Fort Lauderdale going back to back home uh, working for looking for hotels. So uh, I then pulled back in uh, to the hotel at uh, right as you guys were getting kicking off uh, Sunday morning. So, yeah, I would say it, it took me at least 14 hours, 15 hours to get there, maybe 16. God bless you. That really does show commitment. Well, you know, John, it was just a, a really, really great event. We had four young leaders there from Louisiana and I was seeing what they were posting. I was seeing what you were posting. And then clearly you had a right mix of adults. I'll say adults. They, those The young leaders are adults too, but seniors, so to speak. Yeah. They were there. Umberto was there from Italy. Uh, he's doing some great things uh, for Louisiana. And you had some other key people there. And I said, uh, Bob, the boss, I'm working with him on this monument deal and some other things. And I thought, I need to be there. And I uh, just decided at that point, it was like probably like, halfway through your, your Saturday when I realized that I just needed to be there and I was gone. So it worked out great. I mean, and the energy, uh, you know, the karaoke, and I think you sing great. Cause actually I recorded you singing, I think New York, uh, at the karaoke event, which I thought was great. And, uh, I, I, that video was on YouTube. Uh, we'll see how it does as far as comments, but I, I thought it was so great. Well, th- thank you very much. I, I, You know what? I never claimed to be a singer, but uh, when you're amongst your own and you're having fun and you feel safe and you feel great, it does make you want to sing. And I, you know, uh, that that's speaks to not only 
the experience in Florida, but the spirit of New Orleans. I mean, uh, it's a, it's a town where you just kind of encounter music all the time. Louisiana's got a fantastic and unique energy. And uh, you mentioned that you came down because you're working with Bob DiBiase, who's also been on the show from uh, the New Jersey Italian-American Commission uh, a few episodes back uh, on this monument. So, you know, amongst your many jobs in Italian America, you're writer, producer, on screen on a ton of different stuff, channels, documentaries, shows, working with Lena. You're the head of the Confederation in the Southeast. Um, I don't know, it encompasses many, many states in the Italian American, um, on the Italian American map. You're part of Copa Mayo and all of these different organizations. You, you've invented an app for the Sicilian experience in New Orleans. People can travel with them. You've done so much stuff, but I think this project, as I've heard you describe it, is one that's really, really near and dear to you. Tell us about this Sugarcane Cutters monument and what you're working on and uh, kind of what inspired it. Yeah, well, thank you, John. And, and again, it's great. And, I, and I, I know you're going to be in New Orleans this weekend. And, you know, New Orleans loves you. And it's been a, a shot in the arm when you guys come down here and participate in our St. Joseph's event. So I'm looking forward to seeing you. And uh, yes, this monument uh, is done by Franco Alessandrini. You, you've seen the Marquette, which is the scale model of it. And he did about 40 years ago, a monument to the immigrant, which looks about like Italians and Sicilians on the river of New Orleans. But it's also, we have Croatians, we have uh, many other nationalities that that monument honors. It's not just Italians, it's called the monument to the immigrant. This is sort of our generation's contribution because that was done about 40 years ago by the previous leaders of the Italian community in Louisiana. Now, what, what I know is I have a lot of family in Monroe, which is where I'm at right now. And as I trace all my great and great great grandparents came through New Orleans into Louisiana, mostly starting around 1885 till about 1910 um, to, to work on the whatever was going on here, whether it be cutting sugarcane, picking cotton, cutting lumber, uh, fishing, gro opening grocery stores. They were that early migration of about 60,000 Sicilians. And as I uh, took over this position of uh, president of the Southeast, the river parishes of Louisiana are an area that I really wanted to focus on because as uh, Patrick just talked about, you get in rural areas and what does the Italian communities in these small pockets do? So we have obviously New Orleans has, has many things that we can do in Baton Rouge or some of our Pensacola, our, our big cities, but in the, the small towns, that's where these guys worked. And uh, there's still a handful of, of Sicilians and Italians there, but their story's being forgotten. So I really wanted to focus on that. And then as it turns out, uh, only about a year ago, I found out that I had ancestors that did cut sugarcane. And I didn't know that, but I had a, a feeling, but I never could, we had never done enough ancestry to know that. So this monument, it, it's got four sides to it. Each side has a different scene. Uh, it's men, it's women, and it tells the, the deal of these guys cutting sugar cane for about 50 years from 1870, really to 1930, uh, which was a, a, the cash crop of Louisiana. And we had a great place called Homer's House and Garden. It's a 35-acre uh, farmer plantation. It was one of the wealthiest in the South. As it turns out, one of my good friends, his ancestors were the foremen there because they spoke both Italian and English. Wow. So his the Santani family is very big in New Orleans. And he found out that his 
great-grandfather was the foreman at the place and his grandfather was born there wow so they've got a, they've got a museum they've got two wedding reception halls five restaurants there they're looking at maybe building an alligator farm there the riverboat stopped there and they're going to allow us to tell the sicilian story at homeless house and garden so we're really really excited about being able to do this When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So this homeless house and garden was a sugar plantation where uh, a considerable amount of these Sicilians were employed. Yes. And it was one of the largest in the country. Uh, it Historically, you know, it was it's honors the Homa tribe and it was sold to the French from the Homa Indians. And they relocated down the south, south Louisiana on the Gulf. And then uh, different people owned it over the years. Some very notable people um, out of the. Um, South Carolina, some of the big planters came down and bought it. And then eventually, about 15 years ago, it was sold to a man who was in decay. And he's refurbished it to be a a great, beautiful place of venues, of music venues. There's an amphitheater there. Two years ago, during COVID, where we couldn't do anything, on St. Joseph Day, we actually had a St. Joseph Jazz Festival there. And we're looking to bring that back. Our ISDA Lodge, through, through Basil Russo's organization, is called St. Expedite. And as it turns out, just down the, the road from Homer's house is uh, Independence, Louisiana, which is a big strawberry place that Italians were involved in. Their patron saint of the 1930s is St. Expedite. He's a real saint. I never heard of him until I went there and saw the banners of their society that used to exist. And then we um, brought that lodge back to honor him because he was really the, the lodge of the region, the river parishes, we call it. And they have an amphitheater. So we're going to have a concert on St. Expedite's feast day, April 23rd this year. Uh, it's got a beautiful amphitheater there. So I was really excited about that. That's amazing. That's the same feast day as St. George the Martyr, which is our patron for the order. Is Expedite actually on the 23rd? No, let me correct that. Expedite's the 19th. The 23rd oh. is Sunday. So we, we're oh, going to have gotcha. it on, on, on the 23rd, that Sunday afternoon. Uh, but the, the feast day is really the April 19th. Uh, the Sunday works out because they've now got, they built a dock and they've got riverboats stopping there on Fridays and Sundays. Big riverboats with about 500 people. Viking Cruise Lines now runs a boat from New Orleans to Memphis back and forth. Wow. And we, we tie into that crowd. So the amount of people that go to this place are probably over 500 to some days, a thousand on weekends a day. And it'd be great for them to learn the story of the Sicilian sugarcane cutters. That's really incredible. So how far is this plantation from new Orleans? If somebody was in new Orleans, wanted to visit. It's 50 miles, almost exactly 50 miles. And it was great is the only the last four miles are you're off the interstate. So once you get on I 10 going to Baton Rouge, uh, it's roughly 45 miles. And then about five miles off of, the interstate towards the river. It's right on the river. It's about 30 miles south of Baton Rouge. So it's in a great spot. It's in the middle. So people from New Orleans can be there. 
in an hour. Baton Rouge, you can be there in 45 minutes. And if you're in Gonzales or that region, you're within 15 minutes of it. So it's in the heart of the river parishes. I love this concept, obviously. I've been super enthusiastic about it since you started it. And I have a deep affection for the artist Franco Alessandrini. So one of our Greetings from Italian America episodes, which we filmed two the day before COVID broke out. One we filmed with Charles and we traveled around New Orleans and got to see all these amazing sites that he took us to. Uh, the other was intended to be about the pasta party and the parade. And then, of course, the parade never happened. But in that day that we were filming, I was given an amazing gift by Judge Russo, who's in a, an incredibly uh, prolific Italian-American in New Orleans, really one of the founders and still the engine behind the marching club and the parade. And he was a big proponent and supporter of the statue of the immigrant. And I've expressed to him how much I it's my favorite statue in the country, because to me, I think the greatest symbol for our experience is not, you know, the uh, statues of Columbus or even Mother Cabrini or, or any individual person, but the immigrant, because we all have those ancestors. And he came back to the hotel and he gifted me the bronze master, really, the the, the miniature um, test sculpture that Alessandrini made of the statue. I have it in my office now. I could look at it. But it's... Uh, piece that I have in my vast collection that I'm most um, emotional about because it was his as the spirit and uh, leader behind it. And he passed it on to me, not because of my affection for the statue, but because of my commitment to leadership in the community, really, and seeing the community go forward. And it was a great honor for me. It's probably the the thing I'm most honored about. How did you guys decide to go with the same artist was that obviously uh was that a conscious decision or uh to, to create connectivity or did it, it just happen that he was the the man for the job well absolutely you know li living in new orleans one of the things that you saw when we the app that i built the tour app which is uh, I'll, I'll plug it here it's called new orleans insider tours it's free it's called little palermo when you get to it it's got 62 points of interest in the french quarter of italian interest and it actually then goes out of New Orleans and hits a few things that are important if you were driving up the river to it. So key part of that is that monument. And about five years ago, I interviewed Franco for my TV show, talking about what motivated him. And I got to know him then. Um, I've, I've developed a good friendship with him and his wife, Margaret. She's phenomenal. They're a great team. And uh, over the years, we were, um, I actually had somebody, uh, the parish president of Jefferson Parish, saw something I was working on and he asked me about maybe having a, a monument done to Thomas Jefferson. And I brought Franco in on that project. So Franco and I have been, been knowing each other now for six, seven years. And uh, it was a natural for me that also would be the continuity. I, I really feel like what you said, Judge Russo and that generation did phenomenal things for the Italian community in New Orleans. That was 40 years ago. Yeah. So now is it time for us, but we're blessed that Franco has a, a studio in New Orleans and he spends half his time in Italy where he goes to get the marble to make it happen. So for us, it was a natural that we would go to Franco and ask him to design this. Uh, it, it came out of actually we were. This was in the back of my head, but but then when uh, Michael Santo came down and we did the the mayor did the recognition of Italian contributions to New Orleans at the same time, the apology for the 1891 massacre. I started talking to Franco then about a design. 
but I wanted it to be inspirational. It wasn't going to be anything about what happened in 1891. I wanted it to be the inspiration of these people whose shoulders we stand on. And that's been my phrase to say a lot is that I'm here fourth, fifth generation. I stand on the, the benefits of all of those prior generations that worked hard to get where. And that's, that is the theme throughout the Italian community in Louisiana. Everybody is so grateful to their ancestors and knows what those people did uh, when they came over and took those jobs and, and increased sugar production in Louisiana by multiples and then went on to open the grocery stores and dealt with all the things they had to do to make sure we got educated and we could have a better life. So it's really a, a, a monument to honoring that generation that, that had the I mean, the ability to come over here and just get it done, which is great. It was unbelievable. And as I understood it, and I could be wrong, the Sicilians were recruited at the end of slavery to come over and take over the sugarcane labor. Uh, even as I understand it, right in the days and months after the Civil War and the emancipation, there was a conscious effort because a lot of Sicilians were coming even before Italy was really fully uh, unified. How were these people encouraged to come over? What convinced them? Was there the uh, sort of false narrative of uh, the, the land of plenty and the American dream? I mean, this is backbreaking, dangerous labor. I don't think it, it, we today can really conceptualize how just hot and exhausting and dangerous. I mean, you're whacking at sugarcane, which is which is sharp and dangerous in and of itself with machetes. This was not a an ideal job what what brought these people over here yeah yeah john i'll try to be concise here and, and but it's as you know there's a long history going back i would say to 1830 the sicilian lemon becomes very popular to, to prevent scurvy on sailors and it can be shipped over very easily from palermo to new orleans so we see new orleans and palermo become trading partners for they'll get the lemons um by 1860 there's about 1100 sicilians living in new orleans that, that would stay so there was already a, a little nucleus of people here. Uh, they, they were actually very involved in saving the city from being burnt down during the Civil War. It was called the Italian Brigade. Uh, then that the war ends. And those people that were here, some of them were became what was called patrons, almost like HR department. And they were sent over to Sicily to say, we now have, an, um, you know, because of slavery, a lot of jobs opened up, but also the railroads came in and, and places where you couldn't farm and get the product to a river to get down to New Orleans were now available because of the railroads. So suddenly they needed labor like crazy. And the idea was to go to Sicily and, and th things were tough in Sicily because of the unification of Italy and, and offer them this chance to go to America. And I went back last year, I met my cousin whose great grandmother and my great grandmother were sisters and mine left and came to Monroe, her state. And we, we had a great time together, uh, you know, getting to know each other because through Facebook, we kind of felt like we already did know a lot about each other. She's a geologist there. But a lot of them were recruited to say, right now, things are tough in Sicily. Come to America. We got jobs. Building the railroad, cutting the lumber, picking cotton, doing sugarcane. But some of them, um, and I've done a documentary on this up in Lake Village, Arkansas, 100 Italian families were recruited from near Rome to go there and they were sold the land in advance, 30 acres for $2,500. But they got there and many of the acres were not producing that well and they were in peonage. So there's a really great, many books have been written 
by the Italians of Sunnyside Plantation. It's the only one that I know that's really, truly documented hardcore the Italian story. And it's just north of the Louisiana border on the Mississippi. But throughout the region, I, I meet people who, um, Morris Vaccarella and some of these other great Patrick Campisi you've met, whose ancestors they know uh, were sugarcane cutters. And then I recently found out on the Farachi side of my family, they were cutting sugarcane. That is so incredible. I, I think it's ne a neglected space, the Italians of the southern United States that, you know, primarily a Sicilian immigration around Louisiana, but Italians from all over. I mean, you know, Pat and I and Roe, it hasn't come out yet, but we filmed during the summer in Tontytown, Arkansas. I think that that might be the, don't, I might be wrong, but is that the community that they broke off from and went to Tontytown to? Yes, Pat, you're exactly right. Some of them started escaping in the middle of the night and, and got out of there. Uh, so Tontytown and also Rosati, Missouri, evolved from uh, people that escaped Lake Village, Arkansas. Rosati, Missouri, that's news to me. I, that's got to be on our, is there anything left there? Yeah, that's a place you need to go to. I have actually interviewed some people there. It's off. It's on Route 66, and it kind of died. Uh, the interstate, when it went through, did not put an exit in Rosati. The, the exit's in St. James, and uh, it went through the vineyards of Rosati. But there's some uh, same people, and they lived in a boxcar. The men, 20 men did, as they built the houses to bring their wives up the first year. Wow. And it's a great story. I'll, I'll send that to you. But I did interview a gentleman in Rosati. Uh, he's got a great restaurant in St. James now. Uh, he's like whatever, fourth, fifth generation young man. who's a winemaker. Um, and I'll digress here because it's a great story. You probably heard it in, in Tonti town that, you know, they had, a, they got going with their wine and then prohibition came in and then they switched to jams and then Welch's started buying their jams for world war II. But then around 1980, Welch's switched to buying grapes from Mexico. And those guys are struggling now, but they've reinvented themselves as winemakers. You know, that is absolutely amazing to me. This is why I love conversations with Charles, because you're always teaching me stuff. And yeah, I, I think this there's so many swaths of the country that have had these experiences. And it's not just, you know, kind of Italians came and integrated into mainstream society. This is Italian villages that were, you know, completely like Rosetto, Pennsylvania. They were completely isolated, monoethnic villages for a long time or towns. And uh, that legacy is still there. And I, I just think it's a, such a huge part of what we try to do here on the show is seek that stuff out. And especially with our greetings from Italian America, I, I've always found my experiences in the Southern states in America, seeking out the Italian community, be it in New Orleans or Memphis or Biloxi or Tontytown, they're just some of the most satisfying times for me because even those of us who are passionate about this stuff, when you come from places like New York and New Jersey, and Pat says it all the time, we have an inward looking sense. We really, I mean, we, we, we picture the South like my cousin Vinny, like we get down there and we're all aliens. And first time I was in New Orleans and I saw these people with Italian last names, it, it was like an awakening for me. I had no idea. Actually. And uh, John last Sunday was our, uh, you know, we, we, I'll tell you, we, for two months right now, divert, you know, changing topic a little bit here, but March and April are huge months for the Italian community in Louisiana. We have starting at in, um, Lake Village actually has their spaghetti feed the first Sunday in March. The second weekend is the Independent Sicilian Festival. Uh, the third weekend is uh, 
the Irish Italian parade in Jefferson Parish. And next weekend, as you know, is the parade you'll be here for. But that parade in Jefferson Parish, I, I'm impressed. We have a majority on the parish council of Italians, Sicilians, and, and have had it for, for many years, the mayor, the local mayors. And in New Orleans, uh, one of the documentaries I just finished, you know, we had two great Italian mayors, a Sicilian mayor, Skiro and um, Maestri. And they did phenomenal projects of work for the city of New Orleans. So Canizero is the person that helped Skiro build the Superdome, convert Poitras to be in a, a, the central business district. But if you look at what the Italian contribution is, it, it's much more than my cousin Vinny. You know, we, we've just been hardworking people have done amazing things. It's amazing how isolated we as communities have been for so long. And I, I think, you know, we, we started the episode talking about some of the dangers of the virtual world, but it, and some of the positives are we're all interconnected now and we reveal ourselves to each other. And even those of us, like we say, who are so passionate, it's, it's still only the beginning stages of kind of putting all this stuff on a map in people's consciousness. And uh, it, it means such a great deal. I mean, I relish these opportunities. I relish these opportunities to find new communities that I didn't know about. And uh, I don't know. It's, it's a big part of what we do. And by the way, I want to add for those who are not from the area, when Charles says parish, it's not the religious uh, parochial sense. Parish is the, basically the equivalent of a county in New Orleans, in Louisiana. Is that correct? Yes, you got that. I'm glad you clarified that because, you know, we, we wanted a Napoleonic code. The French had Louisiana. And it's called parishes. So, yes, whenever I say the word parish, translate that to county for all you non-Louisianans out there, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and and another addition, the Independent Sicilian Festival, which is on my bucket list to get to. I'm dying to get to it. It's always What's a tough weekend. What's Independent Sicilian Festival? It's That's my point. It's a town called Independence. It's not a, it's not a separatist festival. Nobody's advocating for Sicilian independence. It just happens to be a town that had a major Sicilian population in, in Louisiana. So no, no politics to it. It's just a happy festival of Sicilian people who happen to live in a town called Independence. If, you know, you never know if... Uh, if any movement was born out of it, that's okay. But uh, right now, well, well I, would, I would actually say that there was a movement born out of it, that these people got there around 1895. And I feel that for them, being in America was the dream and they had independence. So they celebrated that by naming the town independence. But not like we're thinking of a movement today. We're thinking of people who were immigrants who were grateful to have independence. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's really well said. March is all about the women on Mediaset Italia. Spend International Women's Day on March 8th and all of Women's History Month with your favorite ladies from Italy. Friday nights belong to Michelle Impossibile and friends. Enjoy music, laughter, and fun with Michelle Hunziker and her lifelong friends. Monday through Friday, get your daily dose of Barbara Durso on her talk show, Pomeriggio Cinque. And on Sunday afternoons, don't miss the latest in celebrity news and pop culture on Verissimo with Silvia Tofanin. Plus, Buongiorno Mama Series 2 on Saturday nights, starring Maria Chiara Gianetta and Raul Bova. It's all on Mediaset Italian March, plus so much more. Check with your local television provider and ask about the channel today. Let me ask you a question. What's been the reaction? I mean, we're the, we're the Italian-American. We geek out on this stuff, but... What's been the the local average person, Italian, non-Italian-American, with this monument? Has it has it stirred up any conversations or provoked any conversations or 
What what's been the media attention to it, and and what's come from that? Well, I, I would say right now we're early in the process. Um, you know, and and I'll, I'll give you guys a word. I ha- I just learned this vocabulary word. It's called a maquette. A maquette means a scale version of of a future monument. So the maquette uh, we have, and I've been bringing it around. We had it at the end. Of, we had a booth, uh, and Patrick, you saw that the tent that I have now done the Italian flag tent, which has uh, our four that is main a nice tent. Yeah, I know I like that tent. I do. That's why it's I a really it nice tent. That's a Mittendo Bakabuka tent. If I could, <laughs> if I could have walked away with that tent from Florida, I would have. It was that nice. <laughs> I am thrilled. You know, we have the logos of the four main Italian organizations we're involved in. Ours is being obviously the Southeast. We have ISDA on one side. We have NIAF on one side. And we have COPA on one side. So whatever I'm doing or whatever event, we all get in front of that side because it's got says the words on it, it's got their logo. And that way we submit that to the the, the digest or whatever's got to be printed to, to meet what we're doing. That's smart. <laughs> it is. We had that tent done up there in, in Independence. We had the maquette on the table. And you know, one guy just threw $200 cash to us. Didn't even want to write a check or anything. Says, I mean, we are so blessed with Franco Alessandrini, who you brought up earlier, because he lives in New Orleans now. Joe Maselli had brought him in, and now they, they've had a studio here for 40 years. He, he did a, a great design with this piece. He, he put his heart into it because I think he, living here, he knows it, but he's also an amazing sculptor, and, and a, he paints. He writes a play. He's just wonderful at, at throwing the human emotion to his work, and uh, thank God that he's here in New Orleans. We're able to bond with him. He'll be he leaves next month. He'll probably spend four months north of Florence. That's where he grew up. Uh, he goes back there and he'll get do all the projects that he needs to do for America while he's over there. And then, uh, but it is a beautiful piece. And I look forward to, um, you know, getting a couple more out there. And uh, the scale of it is nice. He's got a woman bending over as well. And you got the men. You, he, he tells the whole story. It's not just one person. I mean, as you saw this monument to the immigrant has a family. And I think his work shows the family connection to the Sicilian migration into Louisiana. It, it's just amazing. And, I, and I'll say this. We have a website up. It's called sugarcaneharvester.org. If anybody listening to this wants to see the photos we have of each side of it, uh, we'll be con- con- adding content to that as this process evolves. You can see the bricks. We have bricks in three sizes. Uh, the standard size brick, a double brick, and a one foot square at different uh, price points. And we're trying, we're going to have to raise $300,000 to do this monument, about two hundred and fifty for the marble and Franco's work. And then I figure another, fi- another 50 will include buying the bricks, buying the pedestal, buying the, you know, taking care of all these other incidentals that are needed to make it happen. I think we're going to put a, a nice bronze state approved plaque there that tells the story. Uh, we've been given, like I said, uh, the center of the plantation, basically, to put this monument. So I'm very excited about where we're going to put it. It's in a, There's a rose garden right there, but we're going to be able to put our bricks in this rose garden with the monument in the center. And it's between the uh, museum and the house, uh, right by the amphitheater. It's, it's in the heart of the 35 acres. So it, it's really a, a, a great thing to be inspired about. And as Pat asked, when people see it, we are seeing that interest right away. Who are the big sugar companies down there? We, we are getting ready to start talking to them. 
Yeah, they should cut a nice check. They that's should. that's petty change. That's less than they walk around in their their pockets with. We we and actually a couple of those places we we had uh, there's a young man it's, it's, you guys met Patrick Campisi and, and I've interviewed him on the show. Great guy, gentleman of the highest caliber. Unbelievable, and and again I'll I'll, I'll throw it back there. We he was listening to your podcast two years ago with Lena and I on it, and he and he Facebooked me to get in, get involved. And he has just been a blessing. So your show has a lot of success. I, I'm glad you guys take the uh, the arrows that get shot at you because you've done wonderful things for the Italian community. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Uh, yeah, thank you, know, you. And and then Patrick, uh, his family did very well in the sugarcane industry. And that's a, a story where I asked someone to go to my YouTube channel, AWE News, to watch that one in the Morris Vaccarella sugarcane family story. But his family uh, had a, a sugarcane plant and then they have sold, you know, tons and tons of sugarcane to those people. So we're hopeful that they're going to help. And also in the area is uh, David Matassa, who's president of the society of Sheffalu. And it turns out a lot of the Sicilians in that area were from Sheffalu area. So uh, we're working that and the Matassas have been a big help with bringing in um, and helping us promote this monument. So we're very excited about that's Donaldsonville which is the town right across the river from where the plantation is. You got great names down there. Donaldsonville, <laughs> Independence. They're real Medigon names. That's what America should sound. Not Rosati and Tanti Town. No, Independence. What's the other town's name? Uh, well, Donaldsonville. Donaldsonville's right there. Donaldsonville. That, sound, that sounds like a town that should be in the South. Donaldsonville. <laughs> Andy uh, Griffith could have worked out of Donaldson. <laughs> that could have been like his next stop after Mayberry. I, I will tell you, we also got some other good towns down the bayou. Um, and, I, and I'm blacking out right now in this one town, but I'm doing a, uh, a documentary on after the massacre, a lot of Italians went down to the coast to become fishermen to get out of New Orleans. And that's around Grand Isle. And it was Cominataville, which is where they settled. 2,000 people died in the hurricane of 1893. 500 of them were Sicilians. Then they moved upriver and they got into Leeville, which was founded by these Sicilians. And then another hurricane and they moved up. And uh, um, uh, Galliano, the, the town at Galliano is right there on the Louisiana coast, settled by Sicilians. So that's another great name. Wow. Are there still Sicilians there today? They are. Um, yes, they are. They, they, you know, there are many that survived. And it's an amazing story of, of what they did. And, you know, I'll, I'll go on with this a little bit. The guy named Pizzotti was there and Pizzotti ha had no children. He owned a big orange farm there. He gave $75,000 to mother Cabrini to open her, her orphanage in new Orleans. Wow. That was a fortune back then. That, yeah, that's 75, like millions 000. and millions of that's dollars. Millions of dollars. Yeah, it, it is. And mother Cabrini had heard he had money because he, he was starting to give it away before it, before he died. So this is after 1900. He'd given 70000 to St. Joseph's. So she goes up to him and she gets this money. And she was so clever. She wrote an, a, a way, a clause and a contract that he could not get out of. Because once they heard that he had done this for her, the, the, they said the men were like, you can't give that money to a woman. We need it. And she was like, adamant, no, I, ironclad. I got it done. And uh, it was unbelievable how she convinced him to give it to her. And he wanted first offered her 10000 she ended up getting him up to 75000 to build the whole facility, which is Cabrini High now. But the, the story I wanted to get to about Mr. Pizzotti was 
when he has this farm and this hurricane hits, there's a gentleman there that had come down from the north to take a summer break, and he was uh, studying law school. He lost his job as a writer at the newspaper, so he goes down there to pick oranges. He becomes the guy that saves a lot of the women and children when this flood hits because this all this water got dumped in, and the levees were holding it like a big bathtub. It was it was horrific hurricane. Well, he goes on 10 years later to start Rotary. So Rotary Club was started uh, by Paul Harris from that event at the Pizzotti Plantation in Plaquemines Parish. How about that? That's amazing. Yeah, it, it is amazing. So Mr. Pizzotti, when you're here, John, I need, I need to show you Metairie Cemetery has a, a beautiful, his, his uh, tomb is, is phenomenal in Metairie Cemetery. It's just down the street from the Italian mausoleums. Uh, which we're now doing a lot with. And you guys know Father Damien. Father Damien now on All Saints Day blesses all 12 Sicilian mausoleums. Each one is dedicated to a different city in Sicily. Uh, when those guys came in, they would pitch in money. So they had a, a mutual like uh, insurance policy, a place to get buried and a little bit left over for their families when somebody died. So there's a row of these mausoleums in Metairie Cemetery, which is still in New Orleans. This gentleman you spoke of who had saved these people in the hurricane, he was not Italian. Am I correct? Correct. Correct. But, you know, he, he was on an Italian plantation owned, or, or Italian farm or whatever we want to use word use. But the Pizzotti farm, Pizzotti had made his money in oranges and oranges came over from Sicily. They were brought over. The Mandarin orange was brought in from Sicily into South Louisiana. This guy was growing those oranges. And they still have a massive uh, presence of orange growers in the area. Is that right? Yes. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't know that there were still oranges grown down there. That's, I mean, yeah, citrus is the connection for all of this, right? It's, it's a Sicilian citrus industry that leads to this relationship in Louisiana and this mass migration. It's just fascinating to me. This is, this is the kind of stuff we just completely fall for every time. These are the conversations we love having. Uh, and Charles, you're always providing them, so it means a lot to us. Oh, I'm glad, and obviously, I learned a lot from all of you guys. I'm glad you considered me for a, an award, which now I, I equate as being higher than a Cavalieri award. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> as whacked in the head as us is the Grand Cross, <laughs> the Croix the, de Guerre, the Guerre. You got it. You got it, my friend. You're there. Anybody who gets up in the middle of the night and hears, hears like, oh, they're having a party in in an Italian event. In the southern tip of Florida, and uh, jumps in his car in Louisiana and drives there and pulls an all nighter and sleeps in the car. You got it. Ding ding. Yeah, ding. you were in that. You were in that. Yeah, thank, well, thank you. I'll, I'll put it in perspective. That was eight hundred and seventy-five miles. Is what the what, what it told me when I got in the car. So, wow, eight hundred seventy-five miles. That's incredible. I don't even know where that would take us if I left my house right now and drove eight hundred. I I don't know. Canada. Yeah, Canada. You'd somewhere in Canada. Canada. You'd be like I, in yeah. Eskimo land. Yeah, probably speaking yeah, French. I'd be, and yeah, I'd be way up in Quebec. Eating right now. brie and whatever else they must do. <laughs> sausage, a lot of sausage I had up there. Do they have grain, grey poupon? Is that something else? I, that's Quebec I highly doubt it. I don't. That'd think be so. a great. They don't have grey poupon commercials anymore. No, they don't. Those were they great. were great commercials. They were great. Those were they those. Were the, they were the greatest commercials, and uh, we don't have commercials like we used to. Nah, we they're not fun because too the they're world not, today is so sensitive about everything. Yeah, you're gonna offend somebody. You're gonna, you're gonna have a commercial, and that's gonna offend me. And <laughs> yeah, why are you making fun of Quebecois people? And you know, 
Everybody's like upset over everything today. But you know what? Those of us who lived through the era of TV commercials, they've stayed with us. I mean, I could I could sing jingles and yeah, it stays with us. It's effective. What jingles? Oh. You never sing jingles for us, John. You already got beaten <laughs> up on the Wiener Prima song. That's Why right. You sing I, all these nasty Italians I'm never singing again now. Real Italians. We're the fake Italians. Remember that. They told us that. Right. Um, yeah. But we're going to have to have another episode when John sings his favorite jingles. We should do an episode on Italian commercials. Think of Prince uh, Spaghetti. Well, that's a whole other yeah, that, conversation. That, 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 the game over. That's, that's, that's the king. Yeah. Well, if commercials are missing from American society today, let this episode be a commercial to go out and support this amazing project that Charles is behind. It's something uh, I think all of us can, no matter if you're from New Orleans or Louisiana or anywhere, it's a great way to honor the ancestors, you know, with a capital A in general for our Italian-American experience here. The Sugarcane Harvester Monument is out there. We're going to link all of the websites that we mentioned, the opportunity to support at sugarcaneharvesters.org. We're going to link AWE News and Charles's app, and everything will be on the show page. So make a point to go find Charles on social media and support this great effort because, you know what, we have a lot of complications around how we memorialize and the material culture of our history, particularly with Columbus statues and stuff like that. And no matter where you fall in those arguments, it's great to build monuments to the people who really toiled so that we could be where we are today. And uh, you can't toil any more than you would in a sugarcane field. So uh, and I, I say this with, with deepest respect to all of us. We'll probably never work in a lifetime as hard as they worked in a day. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, there's people out there who do, but being out in that horrific heat and the I mean, they had malaria and every other thing that went wrong, you know. We, I, I, I don't know how, how, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure there's people out there, but I can tell you, I'll never, I'll never be able to do what those people have done. Yeah, guys, let, let me share with you two stories. And one of them, like I said, we, I, I'm, I'm making uh, 12 half-hour TV shows on the Sicilian migration into Louisiana and, and up to Rosati. Uh, and one of them is on agriculture. It starts with Patrick Campisi, um, and we do conclude Tawny Town in this one, but we talk, uh, and the gentleman we interviewed is Morris Vaccarella, and Morris has these sugarcane sickles hanging over his office. He's in real estate now, and he says whenever he's having a tough day, he looks up at those sugarcane sickles to be inspired by what his grandfather did, and he remembers his grandfather's hands and how callous they were from swinging those sickles all day long to cut sugarcane. So he, his story is great. It's on our YouTube channel, and, and one person uh, I really need to thank a lot is Lisa Ingram, who's our vice president of our federation. Lisa helps tremendously with this festival that we put on, uh, the jazz festival that we're going to have at the plantation, the one we had two years ago, and building our St. Joseph altars. And she's connected a lot Well, at the Independence Festival. She was out there talking to people and, and met cousins. That she, that somebody said, well, I'm a Pizzolata, which is her name. And she was meeting people she didn't know, uh, know were, had not met, were family members, because we're all now have fourth cousins. So... Um, we, we have a great team that's working on this, and there's some great interviews telling the personal stories that you're talking about, how hard it was, and the gratitude we all have to everybody that said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a chance. I'm going to leave Sicily and go to New Orleans and go upriver and do whatever it is, lumber, cotton, sugar, grapes. I'm going to find my path, and hopefully my, uh, my descendants will have a better life. And we really are trying to honor them and uh, just show our appreciation. Well, you're doing a great work for it, and uh, I got I know Morris, and I did not know that about his family history. That's awesome, and these stories are 
you know, they're real. They're real for a lot of people. And, they, and that connectivity is important to preserve, and you're doing a great job preserving it. So thank you. on behalf, Grazie, I should say, on behalf of all of us. Welcome to the Looney Tune Club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I'll see you in, uh, in a couple hours, I guess. Absolutely, John. Absolutely. I'll be in touch. All right. I'm looking forward to it. I hope everybody out there has enjoyed. I really do hope everybody will go out and support this, uh, this statue. I know I'm going to do it today. Listen, support the tribe especially if you have New Orleans roots or you have Sicilian roots. You know, listen, you don't have to give a lot. Five hours. Every, if everybody, if, if we had an army of people giving five hours, $10, $15, we'd pay this off in a heartbeat. Guys, I know we're getting close to the end, but I got one more thing I got to throw in here. Um, in, in New Orleans is an amazing man, Chef Andrea. And Chef Andrea had a restaurant that was open for 37 years in, uh, just outside of New Orleans in Metairie. That was our clubhouse, basically. Uh, we had sold the building that was the clubhouse. Chef Andreas becomes the clubhouse. We have uh, all the Italian events were there. So he's recently sold, but he he's donated to us his cookbook. And it, it, it's a tabletop, coffee table quality book. It sells for $45. He has given us a supply that will cover pretty much every donor. So if anybody does buy a brick soon, we're able to give them this book for free. All right. So a $200 brick will get you a $45 book. You know, that's a great offer right now. And I want to thank Chef Andrea for only Saturday he made me this, uh, offered this to me. So we, we got a lot of people joining in on this project. Yeah, it's a great cause to support. I hope you'll go out there and do it. I hope you've enjoyed this incredible conversation with our dear friend Charles Marsala. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. If you want your life to be great, see that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born an Italiano and your life.